before we start the podcast today, we'd like to add a word from our sponsor, footballshirtmemory.co.uk. They provide a wide range of shirts sourced from all over the globe. If they don't have what you're looking for, shoot them an email and they'll be more than happy to source it for you. Also, use the code SCAT at the checkout for 5% off your order with them. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Scouted Says for the 2017-18 season. I'm Jet Grimsey alongside Stephen Genovis. How's it going, Steve? We're well underway with the season. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, everything's back into running, so obviously along comes the lovely international break that we all just just enjoy so much. Yeah, it's, the, it's such a tease. The season just starts and then we get the international break, but at least... Over this international break, there will be the closing of the transfer window, and that will get all sorted out for the time, and in the time being before the teams get back underway with league action. Yeah, it's a good chance for uh, one for a little bit of excitement over the international break, but also for teams to get their business sorted. Uh, means there'll be no more interfering kind of where players won't play for their club while there's a little bit of a transfer speculation going on, uh, like what happened with. Uh, Dembele and and what's kind of happening now with Mbappe uh, so yeah I'm looking forward to that all getting done teams having all their business sorted no more uh, speculation and hopefully in the future they make it so that the transfer window starts closing before the season start oh is that so that's something you'd be in favor for that being closing before the the league gets underway really or just a little bit sooner yeah I think it makes sense that, that the that the uh, window shuts before the season starts just means that teams are set they can they can start uh training as a unit before the season starts knowing uh that that's that's what they've got to play with uh, i think i was talking about in the in the last episode how juventus manager allegri uh, said that he wanted the the window to close in july and then uh and then open up again in november just so that teams have their have their business done early but then if they want to get reinforcements in it it's not too it's not too long uh, and it's after the, the Champions League group stages and, and the players that they bring in actually have a chance to train with the club a little bit and have time to make an impact. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, but but then where where would silly season go, you know? it's It doesn't make sense. That's one of the beautiful things about the sport is that a lot of things just don't make sense. Anyway, the before the transfer market closed, a lot of the Neymar money had to be spent and Usman Dembele is going to go to Barcelona from Borussia Dortmund for 105 million euros initially could rise to 145 million. So a lot of that 223 they got for Neymar is being blown in Dembele. Yeah, it, it's the right move. Um, he's a spectacular player. He's similarly effective on either foot, electric pace, amazing dribbling ability. Uh, you could argue maybe he needs to start scoring more goals, but... Uh, last year, Neymar didn't score a whole lot, but it was but it was still quite effective and, and came up key in, in a lot of big moments. So I think yeah, Dembele was definitely the right move to make you know, rather than Coutinho. Uh, yes, it's expensive, but yep, they had the money to spend. Dortmund knew they needed to spend it and got the got the big fee got the big fee out of Barcelona. Um, but they still got a lot of moves to make, so I don't think Barcelona are going to be finishing the last three or four days of the transfer market. Yeah, Coutinho actually could join still as well, but with Dembele, I, I always remember that video of him. They they say Usman, which foot are you better with? And what does he what does he say? My my right? And 
then they say, but why do you shoot penalties with your left? And he says, because my left is better. They say, so, He's, my left is better for shooting, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so with yeah. your strong foot. And it's great. Yeah, I wish a lot, a lot, a few more players were, were able to play on, on both feet like he does. Um, it's just like an amazing skill and just the way that he can move from flank to flank, then move centrally, just do everything. That's that's the important thing. He can really do everything from an attacking sense. Yeah, yeah. Especially swapping flanks. And, you know, like you said, he doesn't need to score a ton of goals. I'd rather, if I'm Barcelona, have him providing Suarez and Messi with a bunch of assists. Yeah, and it also means that you don't have that, um, not ego problem, but the the gelling problem of having three big personalities and three guys that want to be the, the main focal point up front uh, scoring all the goals. So he kind of now is that foil role where he'll uh, sneak into pockets and use his pace to get to the byline and provide for provide a little cutbacks for Messi and Suarez to, to score even more goals this season. But I thought another interesting thing was, was that... Um, uh, there was rumors coming out that Neymar actually has talked to Coutinho in Brazil training and, and told him that he shouldn't uh, be having his heart set on a move to Barca because it's like a to- toxic atmosphere at the club and that uh, he should he should stay at Liverpool. Yeah, but the thing is, um, he might have been exiled at Liverpool. Yeah, I think Liverpool have been playing almost better without him. They they look a lot a lot less predictable. They were fantastic on the weekend. Uh, against Arsenal, even though Arsenal were predictably poor in a in a big game, but Liverpool's midfield, uh, especially Emre Chan, seems to be relishing the chance to to get forward and and uh, get into make those runs and get into goal scoring opportunities that uh, didn't quite arise for him when he had uh, Coutinho in front of him that he had to shield and support uh, in midfield. So yeah, now he's got that freedom. Uh, he's he's one that's really improved, and I think I think that the uh, the rest of uh, Liverpool's front three that just relish on uh, using their pace and having all this space to run into uh, uh, are improving from uh, from not having everything flow through Coutinho so much. They're more yeah, they predictable. Really, they really were using the wings with Firmino as their false nine, making use of the flanks, and yeah, like you said. They were unpredictable and they were devastating against Arsenal. Yeah, Salah, Salah, and and Mane especially have just been fantastic. But Bobby Firmino uh, looks to looks to be becoming that that focal point that some might have doubted that he could be. Um, but in this system, as that false nine creator, but then also uh, finisher, uh, he's he's really been important for for Liverpool's side of the season. But obviously, uh, they were helped a lot by just the acres of space that Arsenal's midfield really allowed them to to launch into the whole game and they were able to isolate defenders one-on-one so often. I especially saw Mane against Rob Holding for, for one of uh, Liverpool's goals. It was just absolutely no support anywhere from, from any of Arsenal's midfielders. Yeah, they, they looked totally lost and... It, w- it was one of our games to watch for last week and I had written the, the Wenger out brigade gains steam again. Because after just three points in three games for Arsenal, they're they're lying in sixteenth in the Premier League. Yeah, well, they were just set up completely poorly. It was it was really 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 worrying to see Wenger sign two players um, and then start them both on the bench in in the biggest game of the season so far. Um, I think playing Ballerina left wing back 
playing a left back at centre back and then having another left back on the bench was a interesting tactical move and I really he's almost lost the plot with his, his team selections now. Uh, and then you're seeing that the flow and effect is just creating a really toxic atmosphere at the club. Now Chamberlain wants to leave. Uh, we've got no idea what's happening with Sanchez and although he isn't covering himself in glory in the way uh, he's been acting on the pitch and, and off it. Um, so I think I think Arsenal are just going to be in for a really long, tough season. I don't think there's going to be uh, that change that uh, some expected might happen when Wenger signed back on and they went out and got Kolasinac and, um, and Lacazette. But uh, yeah, a month into the transfer window, they were looking pretty good, but They've just been completely stagnant since, and everyone else has really left them in the dust once again. Yeah, Kolesnets was a brilliant move, but he's not a center back. He comes in, plays a great left back, and then he gets moved. I don't understand that he gets moved to center back, and they put Bayer in a left wing back, like you said. I, he I can don't know fill what's in there. He can fill in at center back and, and play a pretty a pretty effective role there. But oh, I'd rather have him going odd. forward, you know. Yeah, obviously, you'd rather have him going forward, and he's a he's a good like filling solution at center back but then to yeah play right wing back at left wing back and then leave him on the bench was an interesting uh tactical ploy and i really feel sorry for for rob holding in all this um because wenger's just whole tactical setup he's just leaving yeah as i said before leaving his defense totally exposed uh, having shaka and, and ramsey as that midfield duo uh ramsey always wanting to to make those late runs forward but he's leaving Shaka isolated as that holder and, and he can't really control the, the whole center of the park all by himself and then behind him is leaving three center backs to just get targeted by Firmino, Mane and Salah so it was it was hard to watch and I for a non-Arsenal fan so I could imagine any Arsenal fan out there would have been cringing yeah yeah when all them kind of ended Ramsey <laughs> but um yeah let's go go over our other games to watch from last week, Liverpool again against Hoffenheim in the Champions League. They were clinical and qualified, of course. Ajax could not get it done against Rosenborg and will not be playing in Europe for the first time since 1966. They really choked in that game and, and they got in front and then gave up two quick goals that just sealed their fate. And so it's really disappointing to see from Europa League finalists. They've then failed to qualify for the Champions League and now failed to qualify for the Europa League. So it's going to it's going to be a long season at Ajax, I think, this year. Yeah, yeah, and they still could lose some players. Um, and yeah, Roma Inter, uh, Spalletti in charge of Inter now, they're flying. And it was the first win for Inter at the Olimpico since 2008, October of 2008, 4-0. And Icardi back-to-back braces for the first time since April 2014, so he's in form for them. Yeah, that they've... They've started the season with two good wins against uh, a decent Fiorentina and, and a pretty strong Roma. I think the the, the scoreline was a little flattering. Uh, Inter really took their chances. Icardi just continues to prove t- to be one of the, the best finishers in the world, uh, even though sometimes he doesn't quite contribute as much as he might want to the, the team's build-up. There's no doubting that he's a massive goal scorer. But Roma will, be, will come back and, and have a really strong season, I still feel, and and into my drop off a little bit, but they they've started well. Yeah, they they definitely have another team that's started well. Well, they're picked up right where they left off as Monaco, and winning six one against Marseille. So, I don't know. Do they even need Mbappe? 
they don't, but there's there's no reason to not have him. Um, with the resurgence of Falcao, though, oh my word, he's been absolutely sensational. I think he's scored like six goals or something like that in three games. Um, and yeah, a 6-1 in this one against Marseille, uh, which should have been a tough opponent, but uh, they just crumbled. And L'Equipe was very, uh, very critical of, of their performance. I think they gave... Two two of Marseille's players, I think centre back Dordia and another another player, ones in their in their rating system, and they think they've only given about fourteen ones in the last decade. Yeah, um, yeah they were dire though. Falcao, in Falcao now seven goals in his first four. Yeah, so that's an incredible start for him. Um, they've just got so much firepower, and they've they've really replaced what they've lost. Well, they've signed. Uh, well, Diacabi's been pretty decent coming in. Uh, Ronnie Lopez is improving. Uh, Lamar still there, uh, is doing his thing. Hopefully, he he hangs around for the new season. But they're reinforcing that midfield. So I think even if Fabinho and uh, and Mbappe leave, I think they they're getting Dendonka might might be coming in from Anderlecht. Plus, they've already signed Tielemans from from Anderlecht earlier in the transfer transfer window. Yeah, and so, Jovetic, so I think, and yeah, Jovetic, There was pictures of him wearing uh, Mbappe's number ten. So I think I think uh, even if they do lose another two players, somehow incredibly. Uh, they're still in with a massive chance of, of uh, going back-to-back in, in Liga. Yeah, they're level with PSG, just two goals behind them in that department, but still right there with them at the top of the table. And over in Spain, Real Madrid, they pretty much were unbeatable, and they ended up drawing to Valencia. They had the lead late, blew it, but it was a really bad defense for them. Casemiro had to fill in at center-back with Nacho because... Ramos is suspended in Varane and Vallejo. It's too bad Vallejo's hurt because it would have been a chance for him to get into the squad. Yeah, like Vallejo looked like being a really um, important uh, fill-in player that would would have a big role this season, so it is disappointing to, to see him injured. Uh, he's been excellent whenever I've seen him play, especially at the under-21 Euros. He, he, he was really stellar in the centre of defence uh, for Spain. Uh, but, yeah, it's Real Madrid... This is just a little a little blip. They're still the best team in, in Europe, I think, by a considerable margin, the most balanced team. Uh, it's disappointing to see their fans really jump on on uh, Karim Benzema after this game. He missed quite a few chances, but uh, Real Madrid fans always seem to be very, very critical of, of Benzema when uh, it always seems that even though he doesn't score a heap of goals, he's a really important uh, part of their attack. Yeah, yeah, Bale as well. Bale was... Um targeted by the fans again but luckily for them they have uh, Asensio <laughs> scored, scored his first brace yeah Asensio has been sensational uh, I saw I saw some funny things that BBC some funny rumours that BBC were running with about ooh, Arsenal ready to trigger Asensio's release clause and I, I just laughed yeah because it just went up to 500 million and like why would he leave the best club in the world where he's got an important role to go to a team that's pretty much a dumpster fire at the moment. Yeah, yeah I guess there's that element of it too. <laughs> I guess speaking of Spain, but not really a young player like Asensio, who's probably the best U21 player in the world. Um, David Villa actually got called up to the Spain squad. He had an assist in that the Hudson River Derby, New York Red Bulls against New York City FC that ended 1-1 but he's been playing very well lately, called up to Spain, so good for him. But it's disappointing not to see Giovinco called up for, for Italy, and, and Italy are obviously playing 
Spain this week in a really important uh, World Cup qualifier. But I think I think even though Jovinko is playing in the MLS, I th- he deserves he deserves a call up based on based on his form that he's shown over a really long stretch in the MLS now. Yeah, and clearly he still has it on the free kicks. The one he put in at the weekend was perfect. Yeah, and he's always had that, and I think it's I think anyone that just plays for Juve just magically becomes an incredible free kick taker. It's it's just a ridiculous production line of of stellar free kick takers that have come through at the club. Yeah, um, he had two goals in the I don't know the Canada derby, Montreal against Toronto, and that that ended three one in favor of Toronto. So. I guess that was one of our games to watch for last week. We're going to try to keep it to four going forward, so let's move on to that. I know Steve just mentioned Spain, Italy, but that's on Friday. But before that, there's France, Netherlands on Thursday. That should be a good one in UEFA qualifying. And then Uruguay, Argentina later that night. I think it's maybe, I think it's midnight uh, GMT, maybe a little before, but Thursday night, U.S., Um on being sports, if you have the if you have that in America, of course. <laughs> um, but Uruguay have lost their last five matches and their last three qualifiers. Yeah, Uruguay in third spot on twenty three points. Argentina fifth spot on twenty two points, and Ecuador just behind them on on twenty points in that sixth spot. Um, so I think they have the intercontinental intercontinental playoff against uh, the Oceanic team, uh, which will probably be New Zealand again. So it's not a not a disaster coming in fifth, but. Uh, yeah, Ecuador are right up in behind there. So if any any uh, any of the two fail, they're not too far away from slipping into that sixth spot that will knock them out of the World Cup. Yeah, it's, a, it's always a dangerous one. You don't want to go down to that. And you're right, it is against uh, Oceania. No, Oceania. Now CONCACAF will be playing against um, Asia. So always always interesting to see where it goes down to there. But Spain-Italy Friday, I think that's the game we're all really looking forward to, Friday night at 19.45 GMT. Yeah, that's going to be a real cracker. Um, only one team qualifies automatically from, from that group, and Spain and Italy are, are neck and neck after, after uh, I think it's six games. Um, and they drew with each other in the, in the game in Italy 1-1. So it's going to be a really important game here. It's, it's pretty much... The winner of this will pretty much automatically qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, and then the the USA against Costa Rica Friday night. USA still unbeaten after under Bruce Arena, and I think we all want to see Pulisic. Who doesn't want to see Pulisic? He's amazing. Um, but I want to throw out a little a little extra plug as well for the uh, Australia Japan game that's going to be happening next week as well. Uh, Australia need need to, need a win as well to automatically to pretty much secure automatic qualification um, and so did Japan so uh, the team that loses that game will likely be the team that, that slides into the third place in their group and they'll have to play uh, a qualifying opponent from from CONCACAF as you said yeah yeah that's it's really interesting to look at that because um, the US was down in that spot for a while I'm not sure I don't think they'll finish in the qualifying spot but they always could and that could be a really really big match it'll be the Australia USA or Japan USA something like that or even against Costa Rica, it's not an easy, not an easy matchup. But the more chances we get to watch Aaron Moy, the better. I think that's pretty much all we have for you this week. Wanted to keep it short, heading into this international break. But Steve does have an interview with Jake Entwistle talking about going to that U twenty World Cup 
in Korea and other youth tournaments of the summer. So that's coming up for you next on Scouted Says. Okay, so today we are joined by the magnificent uh, Jake Entwistle of Scouted and Squawker fame. Uh, welcome, Jake. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great, mate. It's really good to finally be on, and that is the loveliest welcome you could have given me. Oh, it's, it's fit for a champ like you, and we can obviously find <laughs> you at, at, at Jake Entwistle on, uh, on Twitter, uh, but we'll get straight stuck into it. Uh, it, was a, it was wonderful to cover your journey to the Under-20 World Cup this year. Obviously, uh, you went to South Korea and followed the tournament in depth as we tried to do uh, at Scouted on the Twitter uh, with our roundup piece at the at the end of the tournament, but can you can you tell us a little bit about South Korea? It's not the it's not the uh, standard place to go to go watch a football game, but you went and watched the whole tournament there and an unconventional tournament at that. So, yeah, what what was it like? What was the journey like to South Korea? Well, the journey was really long for me. That was one thing. <laughs> the travelling was long, but um, it was so good to go out there. I sort of went out there on a whim as well I didn't really plan it that well but I just thought I need to go and see some football I need to go and see some under 20 football and it was the the one time of the year where really I could get holidays so I went out there and saw I didn't actually go and see many games live but I pretty much watched every game of the tournament um, but mainly I got to see the third place playoff and the final live at uh, Suwon Stadium so I did a little walk down to the stadium some match previews watched the games which were really high quality that was the one thing that struck me the uh, actual tournament itself all the players that were involved were a really high level obviously there were some in some teams that were sort of there for the ride but every team had two or three standout players that we've already seen have been making moves in Europe in and around Europe this summer so it was a really good experience and I feel like I got sort of a first glimpse of what's to come in the footballing world so in saying that, what players uh, stood out for you at the tournament and who do you think is, is primed for a breakout, maybe this season or, or in the next? I think, um, again, it's easy to say because they did win the tournament, that, but there were a lot of England players that, that really shone and were getting a lot of attention, not just from our account, but also just a lot of followers of the Premier League in general. And um, if anything, in that tournament, I think the focus, the central midfielders in that tournament in general were just a class above everyone else. You had Lewis Cook and Josh Onema, who were a phenom- uh, phenomenal pairing in the middle for England. And obviously Onema's gone over to Aston Villa. He got a goal recently with the help of a, a little deflection, but I think that sort of season in the Championship would be good for him to push on. Uh, Lewis Cook at Bournemouth is a really strange one because he seems like... we. Everyone seems to know he's good. He's obviously captain of the England under-20 side, but... He can't quite break into that team and he's got the likes of Harry Arter and Sermon in front of him who are just experienced. So I really hope he pushes through and uh, makes a difference in Eddie Howe's team because they're not performing that well anyway. Um, But one player I think that sort of didn't necessarily light up the tournament for England but has all of a sudden started the season in full flow is um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin for Everton. He uh, He's already played two different positions. He's played up front and right wing back for Ronald Koeman's side. And uh, against Man City, where they were completely on the back foot, he was the perfect outlet. And I was guilty of overhyping him a bit on the account when we were covering that game. But he's one of those players that 
is so versatile. He's got extreme physical capabilities. Uh, he's already got two assists, the only two assists for Everton's goals, because uh, obviously they didn't score against Chelsea. And I just think those England boys um, really did make a name for themselves. And there, there are loads of others we could go on about. But I know you watched a bit as well. Were, were there any from other countries that, that I've sort of missed out or that you liked? Well, I think uh, obviously we have to give some reference to Venezuela, who, who were runners-up at the tournament, of course. And uh, they had the likes of Yangel Herrera, uh, uh, Sergio Cordova, who's moved to to Augsburg um, they had a few and then also Uruguay with Federico Fernandez uh, Valverde sorry Valverde yeah um, who was really superb Italy had a, a few standout players especially Orsolini from uh, from Juventus on loan at Atalanta who who was a uh, golden boot winner um, yeah but yeah it was a really it was a really st- uh, fantastic tournament again and it's it's been a really interesting tournament to watch over the last couple of editions now yeah, definitely. Uh, Italy as well. I really liked Favilli up front. I've sort of got this penchant for absolutely hulking target men at the moment. And he was absolutely dominating every defence. Uh, really key to Italy's third place, which was their highest ever finish. Uh, obviously, as you said, Orsolini got the golden boot. And a lot of it was down to their massive number nine that was just holding off two defenders and just slipping in through walls into the little inside channels. Orsolini was just sweeping up. There was obviously Zambia as well. Venezuela obviously didn't people didn't know much about. Uh, one player of Venezuela that I think deserves a mention was uh, Herrera's partner in mid, again in central midfield, uh, Ronaldo Lucena, who was literally yeah. sort of he was almost uh, again just because of his size as well. It's really easy to compare him to someone like Santi Cazorla. Ever since yeah. Cazorla moved into that central role, he, like you've just seen that Cazorla can absolutely do everything. His positional sense is really good. He can win an odd tackle. Uh, but Lucena was just like putting in every set piece absolutely dead on. I think Herrera got on the end of one to uh, to get the winner against Japan in the quarterfinal, I think it was at the time. Um, he had pinpoint accuracy of every pass, incredible engine for his size. In the, in the final, he tracked back uh, when Venezuela were pushing for the equaliser. He tracked back and was sliding in tackles on players like Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Onoma who were charged with just carrying the ball up the pitch. Lucena was this little all-action centre midfielder that the best things come in small packages, don't they, they say. And he was just class. Then there was also uh, Jefferson Soteldo and... Um, yes, he's even smaller. Uh, and Penuranda, of course, as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I felt sorry for Penuranda because he obviously missed the penalty in the final and he sort of got a stick for... He got some... It's not really stick, but he, he was so good in the group stages. Like I was watching him and thinking... This is this is like a new Neymar sort of thing. Like someone that's got so much flair will, will excite you every time he gets the ball. And he didn't quite perform in the knockout stages. And obviously, he'd already done his job. He got them two there. He got three goals and and two assists. Um, and he did his job. And it was just in that final. He probably tried a bit too hard, and they just missed out. But yeah, overall that tournament, there's there's players. Japanese player, one Japanese player, Ritsu, uh, Ritsu Doan, who's gone to Groningen in, in the Eredivisie. He's like being compared to, obviously that's Robin's old stomping ground. And he's literally this left winger, that, uh, sorry, right winger, but left footed. Cuts in, he was dribbling past everyone. There was so many 
it's so exciting. It's, it just gets me hyped up talking about <laughs> it. And to see, them, to see them actually play live as well, again, you just appreciate it that much more. Um, seeing Federico Valverde live uh, for Uruguay, again, he was, he was brilliant, but in a sense, it was all, he was also trying too hard as well. Uruguay didn't have the best tournament in front of goal, but he, he would literally play four different positions in one game. He'd start off at like the base of midfield, just control the play. Then he'd realise, right, we need to score. He'd pick up the ball, start driving forward, uh, cracking shots from long range. And um, he's already got off to a flyer this season as well. I remember he scored a couple of good goals in pre-season on loan from Real Madrid. Um, so obviously he's got a big future. And as I said, just the tournament in general, there's, you could list so many players in so many different teams that are going to be exciting to see. And um, as I said in, in, the, in the intro, I'm just, I was so glad I got a little intro into the, the first glance at some of those players. Well, we'll go even younger now and move on to... Uh, the first tournament of the summer, which was the under seventeen Euros, uh, who stood out? Who won? What was what was your opinion on the tournament? God, I'm going to sound like a massive England fanboy, but Spain actually won the tournament in the end on penalties. Um, but but Jaden Sancho, the man of the the man of the moment at youth level, in terms of will he leave Man City? Will he stay? He 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 was definitely the best player. Five goals and five assists in. Hardly any minutes. Um, he was incredible. But Spain, obviously, they won. So deserve to speak about them probably a bit more. Uh, they had a really, really great right back called Matteo Moray, um, who plays for Barcelona. Obviously, a La Masia product. Um, he was really impressive. I think we awarded him the, the bronze ball in our scouted uh, top three talents when we were just starting the coverage of that tournament. Uh, we gave golden ball to Jaden Sancho. Um, Amin Guri from Lyon got silver ball, and then we gave Murray, obviously, as a left um, a fullback. We gave him bronze ball because he was he was like the quintessential modern day fullback, dribbling forward, supporting every move out wide, and coming up with a few important goals. Um, so again, that tournament in itself, there wasn't sort of the quite a bigger spread in terms of like brilliant players, but the ones that did stand out uh, have definitely got a bright future and. There's a few for Spain, a few for France, um, and a couple for England. Obviously, uh, Phil Foden for Man City, again, he was great with Sancho, playing the sort of... Foden was playing sort of the playmaker role and he'd give it out wide to Sancho. They exchanged a lot of one-twos. You could tell they played together a lot. And uh, so the Man City boys, maybe one of them won't be there for much longer, but they were impressive. And then obviously the classic Barcelona Spanish players, they also, they also improved. I think the Sancho situation is very interesting um I, i'm not a massive fan of the whole mentality of trying to force that move out by pretty much abandoning training yeah, uh, that, for yeah. match days um but you can see that he thinks obviously that he's he's ready for a step up to a first team football of, of some level do you think he is ready for a first team position and and what club do you think would be a good move for him this is this is where it will sound completely bizarre, but he is the same age as Kylian Mbappe was last season. So obviously Kylian Mbappe played in a, a, a more senior tournament. He played in the under-19 Euros. And I remember that was the first one I was covering for scouted football last season. And I watched that and obviously fell in love with him. I was like, this guy's class. And Sancho, obviously, Man City is a completely different kettle of fish in terms of no one just breaks into a multi-million Premier League side no matter their age. He's not going to do that. But 
I just feel if someone did give him the chance, it's surely it's worth the risk to try and develop this player that obviously was he was head and shoulders above other players. Like as I said, there were good players there, but Sancho stood out massively, and it, it just seems bizarre not to not to give him that platform or or include him. It was strange as well because again, it's hard to know exactly what happened, but there were, the the reports were that at the last minute Pep decided not to take him on the pre-season tour and that sort of set in the motion of him not playing or, or and not training. Because um, obviously Foden and Brahim Diaz got rave reviews in pre-season and they look likely to be included. So I think someone like Sancho's, obviously there's rumours that Arsenal have been looking at him, Spurs have been looking at him uh, and the more interesting and sort of surprising ones are the, are the Bundesliga sides. And that would be the biggest, most surprising move for him but... Going somewhere to RB Leipzig where they love their wingers to be quick, fast on the break, uh, dribbling inside and be able to finish off or give that decisive decisive assist. Um, RB Leipzig or Borussia Dortmund could be a, a really good platform to, to develop and get more first-team football. We saw Peter Boz give his players at Ajax complete responsibility. They got to the final of the Europa League, got to the final day of the league season as, as contenders and he was playing Justin Cliver, obviously, again, not from the off, but if Jaden Sancho was sort of played in that similar row for a Dortmund side, they've just sold Dembele. It seems a stretch, but I really I really do think, from what I saw this summer, that he, he's he's talented enough to, to at least contribute to a side this season and a side that's in one of the top five leagues. Yeah, well, Jaden Sancho is... is um, he's older than... Oh no, he's slightly, slightly younger than Justin Clivert. Um, he's seventeen as opposed to Justin Clivert's eighteen. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think, especially when you see some of the mediocre, just average foreign players that get brought in by Premier Premier League clubs just for the sake of it, almost, and you wonder why a homegrown uh, English player then can't that's doing these amazing things at an international level against um the players his, his own age. Uh, can't can't get a shot um, at, at a local club in his own country. Um, but again, we'll move on. We've got more tournaments to cover. The next one was uh, the under-19 Euros, which uh, was probably the tournament I watched the most of. Um, I don't know how much of you got to watch of it. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, that again, that was probably, was probably complete opposite, the way we all worked out this summer. Um, that was the one that I probably caught least of. Um, again, I saw I saw the I saw the key games, and obviously you didn't need to watch many to see how good. Um, again, again, it's we started the tournaments where the England players were really good. So again, it sounds like I'm focusing massively on those. But um, England obviously won this tournament. Uh, they've got to the they'd won the under twenty World Cup final of the under seventeen on penalties under nineteen tournament. They won, and my sort of standout player. Was I know who you're going to say, so I'm going to say someone different. My sort of standout player was just Ryan Sessegnon, and that was more the fact that the way he was playing left wing, when people are accustomed to him being a left back for Fulham, a very attacking left back. But I just thought he seems an absolute natural in an attacking area. And for someone that had been played in a fullback position, asking to overlap, he seemed completely comfortable just carrying the ball through the byline. He had this incredible knack for scoring a goal. And again, it seems like the most ridiculous jump to predicting the future or, or sort of the most tenuous link. But there was sort of that Gareth Bale air of like, this, 
this guy just knows what to do in that position. Again, I don't want to predict that he will be the world's most expensive player and go to Real Madrid, but it was when you watch Gareth Bale, when Gareth Bale got moved forward and you were just like, why does he, how does he know how to play left wing so well? <laughs> sort of an old fashioned, in a sense, just blitzing past his men, crossing it in. Got caught offside quite a lot. That was probably his one weakness. Again, that probably shows his sort of lack of awareness in that role. But in terms of natural ability and uh, capacity to beat players and, and score goals, he was great and, and worked really well with uh, Jada Silva, who was captain of the tournament. Um, the fact that they're both left backs slash left wingers, I thought worked really well. And they, that left side, I thought was the most dangerous. But uh, I'll let you give uh, the uh, golden ball winner a little a hype up because I'm pretty sure that's who you're going to say. Yeah, first I'll just say Sessegnon and and De Silva on that left side were were wonderful interchanging and and, uh, they were an amazing partnership that pretty much blitzed every every team they came up against. Um, But yeah, I I probably have two two or three standout players. Well, obviously, uh, Chelsea's Mason Mount, uh, who's now out on loan at Vitesse, obviously. Chelsea Uh, Chelsea beating. He was was by... Yeah, he was was by far the best player at the tournament, I I have to say. Yeah. just so creative, so wonderful on the ball. He's not—he's not big, not tall, um, but just can do everything once he gets on the ball. And and was pretty much the instigator of of everything that England really did well on the break. Um, yeah. Then and that, sorry, sorry. They just, they, I just found it really interesting the way that every England team plays a different formation. And he was—he was genuinely, wasn't he? He was the creator. They sort of played a four-four. One one or four two three one sort of thing. Yeah, and he was and he was that that yeah, go to guy that pretty much plonked spread right in the middle of the final third, and they and they and they were yeah. the centre midfielders um, were tasked with winning the ball and just give it to Mason Mount, and he would turn and bring everyone into play, as you said. Sorry to interrupt, I just thought it was a, an important point because he was he was genuinely the creative hub in that whole team. Yeah, and then the next player, another England player, um, was Trevor Chalabar from from Chelsea again who looks like he's going to be an absolute gun of a, of a centre-back in the future. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. And I, I, I think he's probably, in the next season or two, he'll definitely be capable of taking that step up to, to senior football, whether it's Chelsea or elsewhere. But then the, the, the third one that I had, which is a little bit more uh, left of field, was uh, the Slavia Prague right-back, Libor Holik. Um, I don't think I've ever seen someone that can cross the ball as well as I saw Holly cross the ball over the course of this tournament. Uh, he can cross on both his left and right foot equally well. He played at both left back and right back at the tournament. Um, and he'll be definitely one to, to keep an eye on. I hope, I hope he, he's injured, I think, at the moment, but he'll uh, be back playing hopefully in the, in the league and in the Europa League with Slavia this season. Hmm. Another another player from that tournament that's probably sort of relevant now as well is um, the the Netherlands striker, the absolute again massive six foot three, like genuine squarish shoulders I've seen was uh, J Roy Grot or Grot. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he's obviously just signed to Leeds. Um, they just got rid of Chris Wood, who again is quite a big physical striker, and they've brought in this 19 year old who at the tournament um, he was brought on against England, wasn't he? Because um, the England centre back absolutely pummeled uh, the Netherlands striker who scored a hat-trick in the first game. Their names have just escaped me. It's really annoyed me. But um, there's so many tournaments going on. I can't remember the exact centre-back and I don't want to say the wrong name. But anyway, so he was brought on and then he was, this guy is absolutely massive. As I said, he built like a wardrobe, uh-huh. but he moves so gracefully. And I'm really excited to see him in the championship because 
they, as I said, they got rid of Chris Wood, and I think they've bought a more mobile uh, version of him. Um, this guy that was literally holding off two defenders, but also had the agility and guile to sort of beat a man. So that is sort of one player that didn't necessarily stand out in that tournament, but again has made the move over to sort of a more well-known league, especially for our audience, I'd say, or, or me especially. I'll watch more of Leeds than I will watch more of the Eredivisie just by proxy of living in England. So he's one that I'm definitely going to look to see how he's doing. And um, that he's straight in at the Championship. He's already made his debut, so I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, the, the under-19 Euros and the under-20 World Cup are probably the best two tournaments to, to keep track of um, uh, for breakout players that are that, that should yeah, explode yeah. In, in the coming season or two. Um, and then the last tournament of the summer is probably more for the established first-team players. Not quite established, but, but ones that have already had their, their little breakout. Um, and again, it was another exciting tournament, but it was probably a little bit more predictable than the other, other three. Um, Germany were just, even though they were lacking a few players away at the Confederations Cup, they 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 really grew throughout the tournament um, and played their best football in the in the semi final and finals. Um, was there anyone that maybe wasn't already known before this tournament that 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 made that step up and you think could lift because uh, you know the main players that stood out obviously were like Asensio. Saul, but but was there someone different that you thought yeah. caught your eye? So, so I think um, again I won't dwell too much on him because I think he was known, but he really came to prominence was uh, Danny Ceballos uh, again for Spain. Everyone sort of was had heard about him. They knew he had this low release clause. Real Madrid, Barcelona were interested. Then everyone got to watch him play, and they were like, "Wow, this guy needs to be signed." Just an absolute menace in the middle of midfield because you can't tackle him. He's so good at taking people on. He was the most fouled player, uh, most fouled under twenty one player, I think, in in La Liga last season. Completed more dribbles than any other under twenty one player. Um, so he's really got the attributes to to make a mark. Although Real Madrid have got players like Kovacic who do that already, so it's a bit bizarre. But I think he sort of made his stamp on European football in that tournament. Um, one player that was sort of like is really left field and quite niche was uh, Enis Bardi, the Macedonian sort of all rounder midfielder. Because his technique of shooting... So Marco Asensio in that tournament scored some absolutely outrageous goals. But Enes Bardi, just, if you just watch him shoot, th- this guy will score... He'll be sort of top of the outside-of-the-box goals statistics this season because he's obviously gone to Levante. And he scored he's already scored a on the weekend. Brill- yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you, Honestly, if you watch yeah, that, anyone that needs to go back, yeah. just see the way he kicks the balls. I, I'm really intrigued now that sort of all this modern football and the way it moves, you see so many players like changing it slightly. And he's the sort of player that I think has got like the armory to, to, to use any type of finish from every side of the situation. He can do the classic, just pure curl it in the top corner, or he can slap it like David Luiz and Drogba, or he can do a knuckleball like Ronaldo. And that was all on show in the Euros. And not only is he this fantastically technical player in terms of just shooting, that translates to the rest of his play as well. He was the main hub of Macedonia's game. And although they got, well, they didn't get hammered. I don't know why I was going to say that because I was going to counter it, but they lost 5-0 to Spain in the first game because Asensio scored three unreal goals. But they were actually really impressive. It was just that Spain was so clinical and had that increased individual ability that they lost out and Macedonia pushed. But Enes Bardi really stood out for Macedonia. And um, another player that's, got a move again to a big side. I really liked uh, Milan Skirinar. 
who's just gone to Inter Milan. I thought he was really good for... Um, is it Czech Republic or Serbia? No, I just Slovakia. Had Slovakia. Slovakia. Slovakia, bloody hell. That was bad, but yeah. <laughs> Should have written that one down. I knew it was one of those, but anyway. Uh-huh. So, and also the vodka from, from, yes. from oh, Slovakia so many as well was quite, got about, quite... I think he got on our, in our team of the team of the tournament bench I think I think they both did um, because they didn't have the whole team didn't have the best tournament I think they just missed out didn't they in terms of being like the best runner up but he was class at centre back his, I remember his battle with Tammy Abraham who again impressed and obviously is now on loan at Swansea um, he sort of won 80% of the duels I think in that game and everyone watching obviously English commentators were saying oh Abraham's running the channels really well he's holding up the ball but in reality he was getting slightly bullied I think by Skirinar. Now he's at Inter Milan. Yeah, he's been really good. Sampdoria, so. Yeah, so so again, that just shows that just watching these games, you you're not they they aren't fooling you by being good in these games. Like under twenty one Euros, that was a high level. As we said, that Spain team, they would give a lot of national teams trouble. I know they did lose to Germany, but in terms of individual talent, you'll you'll be hard pressed to find a better like ten teams. So I think if you watch those sorts of tournaments, they're there shouldn't be any myth or it's not a coincidence that these players then go for a lot of money because that is a high level. As we said, the, the, the tournaments before are probably the most competitive and, and you'll find the, you'll unearth the real gems. But this under 21 euros, they're pretty much established. Like, Skirinar was at Sampdoria. Yeah, I just, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, as you said, the, 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 the teams, once they get to that under 21 euro level, uh, you really see the, the cream rise to the top and the, and the big nations take over. But, so now the under-21 under Euros are done, under-19 Euros are done, under-20 World Cup is done, and the under-17 uh, under Euros are done for a, another a year or two, depending on, on which one you are talking about. Uh, are there any plans to visit more tournaments in the future? Uh, do you want to get accreditation for these tournaments to, to really look at them in depth and, and have better access to players and, and things like that? Yeah, I think, I think the experience of the under, from going to Korea... As I said, it was sort of a, I sort of did it with really little planning and it was like, I just want to go to see what it's like and I, I want to watch these players. But in the future, definitely, if I can sort of get any sort of accreditation or, or, or even just better planning and sort of base myself near a team and, and hope for some insight or watch some training sessions and really go to town on one of these tournaments. Korea's a long way to travel for me. Um, but with the under-19 Euros in, in, in Finland coming up, that might be a really cool place to go and sort of probably take some time out and just track a tournament because um, I went to Korea and I saw three games in total but I sort of watched some of the group stages here whereas I'd really like to go to a, a sort of for the whole month and really immerse myself in the tournament get to try and know the the players a bit more in terms of as you said get accreditation um, so that's something to look forward to in the future that would I'll probably need a lot of work but hopefully I'll have a few uh, connections by then or scouted football will completely blow up and people will be begging us to go and cover it for them well, we've got our friend at UEFA now, Andrew Haslam, who, who we were um, exchanging with throughout the under-19 Euro, so hopefully he'll be a little in. Um, but I always love how you English people say, oh, you go to Southeast Asia, and you say, oh, it's a very, very long way to go for, for, a, for a trip. And it's like, well, I just, I just have to go on a 24-hour flight just to, to make it to, to Europe. So, um, but I'm, I'm looking out at the under-21 Euros in they're in Italy in two years' time, Italy and San Marino, so I, I might have to uh, make my way back over to, to Europe for, for that one. I think that'll be a cracker. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll definitely one to look out for. And 
wait, so if two years' time, hopefully, Mbappe will still be eligible, definitely. So I, I really hope France, because that's one team that sort of have been forgotten about in these tournaments. We haven't mentioned France at all in this podcast, and everyone raves about the fact that they've got this golden generation coming through. Um, that's because the they're so they're already playing for the senior team. Yeah, although they 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 sort of got, they crashed out in the um, in the World Cup. They did. They, yeah. they lost to Italy. Yeah, which was surprising. Uh, Jean Kevin Augustin, obviously at Leipzig, he uh, he was banging the goals, and then all of a sudden they lost. So that was a big surprise. But they've got they've got loads of players that I'd love to see. And ho- I think if it's in two years, they should. Because there's that strange eligibility rule that everyone hates slash likes. Because if you're 21, but when you're qualifying, you can play in two years. So I think we'll get to see the likes of Mbappe and Augustin link back up again. Amin Harid in midfield, who's at Schalke. Yeah. That's another player. Oh, there's so many players. I just want to watch. <laughs> it could go on all day. Anyway, but we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for, for coming on, Jake. No, I'm glad we finally got it sorted. Um, so yeah, it was a pleasure to finally be involved. And we can find you, obviously, at at Jake yep. Entwistle on Twitter. Um, but again, thank you very much for, for, for coming on and uh, and have a good night. Have a good sleep. Rest up. Yeah, I will do, mate. Have a good day. You, your end. <laughs> See you later. The proof is in the pudding and the pudding in this case. As always, I'm Jack Grimsey. Steve, my co-host, Stephen Ganavis. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen Scouted. And you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud still. So if you like Scott, it says spread the word.